0: And that expression that ye may prove. And we stopped to emphasize a couple of times now that the word prove was used to describe the, the process of testing the genuineness of precious metals. So there was a proving process that reveals the difference between um, pure gold and what might be called what? Fool's gold. All that glitters is, is not gold. There is such a thing as fool-scold. And here, the, the proving is referring to testing, as you can see in the rest of verse 2, the, the genuineness of the will of God. In 2019, there were many professing believers that made decisions that, you know, to pursue something that seemed, as it were, bright and shiny and attractive Uh, They were just sure it was going to be, you know, rewarding and satisfying and, and good in every way, but it ended up being nothing of the sort, and the same dynamics are going to be repeated in this year of 2020. God's people are going to see something that catches their attention, and they're just going to be sure whether it's the job or the relationship or Uh, you know, the the recreation, the hobby, the schedule change, whatever it is, something that is going, you know, it just seems so attractive, uh, that's going to be so satisfying, so full of joy, and head down the path and find out it's as cheap and valueless as, you know, trinket jewelry. And yet God has given us, in His Word, a proving process. And, And it's so encouraging that God just lays it out, In a text like this, he's not trying to make his will hard to know and hard to experience. He wants you and I to know it and to experience it lived out in our lives. And with that in mind, as we go back to the beginning and the ground that we've already covered to this point in the opening words of verse number 1, they start with a very important assumption. When he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... He's assuming that the readers are brothers in Christ. And he says, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's assuming that they are brethren who, by the grace of God, are personal recipients of God's mercy in Christ. And I'll just again pause here to say you cannot arrive at the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God uh, for your life without, first of all, being saved. And... And while all that glitters is not gold, I can also say this, all professions of faith are not saving. James even raises the whole question of a man can say he has faith and have not works. And he says, can that kind of faith do what? Can that kind of faith save him? And he answers repeatedly, no, that kind of faith is dead three times in James chapter 2. In saving faith, a man, by the grace of God, really comes to grip with the fact that he is a sinner through and through. And he doesn't just do sins, but he is a sinner who lives his life his own way. And and in saving faith, when a man comes to grips with that, he repents of that rebellion. And he surrenders to the authority of Christ and he puts his exclusive, unreserved trust in the life and death of of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God. This week in one of my Bible classes at Easley Christian School, we've been talking about evangelism and, and, and learning how to use our testimony and then proclaim the gospel. And one of the things that we've settled on is the need to point out what sin is. By, in, in terms of a biblical definition I have had opportunity in the past to talk to younger students in christian schools that grow that grew up in churches like ours and to ask them Why do you need to be saved and they would say so that we don't have to go to hell? And I would say well, why does somebody <laughs> deserve to go to hell because they are not saved? And I would say, all right, let's try this again. And I would actually try to, in some way or another, influence them to come to grips with sin. We deserve to go to hell because we're what? Because we're sinners. We need to be saved from what? We need to be saved from sin. And when somebody cries out, save me, it's because they've come to grips with the fact I'm drowning somebody's got to reach out and deliver me or I'm going to die. And, and in saving faith, people come by the grace of God to recognize, living my life, my way is rebellion against God and I can't, deliver me, I can't deliver myself from it. God has to reach down and in Christ deliver me. That kind of assumption is what is communicated in these words of verse number one. That by the grace of God, your life is marked by such a faith. But it is obvious to all of us that not all saved people are experiencing the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for their lives. And and some are not, because in the rest of verse number one, they are not presenting, as you can see it there, presenting their bodies very practically as surrendered to the Lord. Yield your members as instruments. We looked at in, in Romans chapter 6. Present your body very practically, living out a surrender to the Lord. And the, uh, the whole thrust of this is that it can't just be a one-time, you know, well, I dedicated my life, I even wrote it down on a, on a card with a counselor at camp or wherever it is. But that there is this ongoing yielding of myself as an act of worship to the Lord. And that is not just something that is required of missionaries. right? That is not just something required of those that will be in full-time Christian service. Living out that practically surrendered life is something that all who will experience the will of God must know. And then we go into verse number 2 and... Samuel's already mentioned it for us, but in addition to knowing a saving faith and a practical surrender, verse number 2 tells us that we must battle conformity to the world. It reads, and be not conformed to this world. We talked last week about the grammar indicating that, that the world is the active force. It's bringing the battle to us, attempting to press us into its mold. And the instruction that that we're exhorted to is to not sit back passively and let it happen. To prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for our lives, we're going to have to actively combat the pressure of the world to be conformed to its thinking and its values. But again, I think that you have known people that you believe even upon you know, kind of extended reflection and mature reflection. You've known people that you believe to be born again by a saving faith in Christ. And, and those same people have communicated, at least at some point in their past, a desire to live a dedicated life to the Lord. And they even may, verse number two, be living with relatively high standards of separation from this world. And it's not just a separation standards, but battling conformity of the world in some cases is going to mean, yes, we're, we're putting up some barriers. And you've known saved people, at least that sometimes surrendered people and, and separated people, but they still end up missing out on God's very best. How does that happen? And what's clear again here in verse number two is that there is another step, there's another ingredient, if you will, to being able to prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, and that is that you and I be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that word transformed is from the Greek word that that you have heard, metamorphosis, metamorphosis. And I'm mentioning that word because I remember hearing that all the way back in science class. And what I remember uh, the word being used to describe was, you know, the the transition that takes place when a creepy, crawly caterpillar turns into this beautiful flying butterfly. And you don't need to turn now. But in matthew chapter 17 and verse 2 The same word is translated transfigured And the situation there was jesus had gone up into a mountain with three of his closest disciples And while they were there um, Jesus divine nature ends up shining through his exterior human body and and they write that they saw his face shine brightly like the sun they even saw the clothes that he was wearing turn into a brilliant white and you remember he's talking to Moses and Elijah and God says this is my beloved son he's the one but but the mount of transfiguration Jesus form was changed his physical form was changed to reflect the the, the glory of his divine nature and, and the word speaks of being changed into another form. Now, the fact is, in the case of, of a believer in Christ, prior to our salvation, our body that's been mentioned in verse number one and, and our whole way of conducting ourselves was, first part of verse two, was conformed to this world, conformed to the values of this world. But now we are exhorted To be changed into another form. Not one whose whose lifestyle, whose conduct, whose values, whose schedule, whose priorities, whose agenda is in keeping with the pressures of this world. But be changed into a completely different form. I want to have you go to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 18. 2 Corinthians 3 And in verse number 18, the the new form is pointed to very clearly in this verse. In Genesis chapter 1, you know that man was created to bear the image of God. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. But our sin has marred that image. You can still see something of the image of God in man, but it's like... It's like looking into a mirror that is cracked. Right, For some time I had a car that the rear view uh, mirror had a crack right in the middle. Ever had something like that? And depending on what I was looking at, I was trying to look on this side of the crack or on that side of the crack because you can't look right in the middle of that because the, the image is going to be distorted. You can still see one, but it's a distorted image. Sin has caused the image of God in man uh, to to be distorted. The writer of Hebrews says that Christ is the express image, or he's the exact imprint of the Father. You want to see the image of God? You can't look in sinful man anymore. You have to see the image of God where? You have to see it in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, When you and I are born again through a saving faith in Christ, we're brought into union with Christ and a lifelong process has begun in us. That is talked about here in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. Notice, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. And when you get there, you don't have to, you know, wonder what's the image. The image is the image of the Lord, the glory of the Lord that was just talked about. All right. We're all changed into the Lord's image. And then we have this expression from glory to glory. All right. The day that you are born again, you are a new creature in Christ. You're a new man. And and that is a glorious change. But every time that you are changed, even if it's very incremental. I mean, born again, a new creature in Christ, but every time you change, even ever so small the change might be. If you are changed to be more like Jesus Christ, it's a glorious change from glory into glory and the change that is mentioned here earlier in the verse is the same word that we've been pursuing it's the word translated transfigured in Matthew 17 and it's the word translated in Romans 12 and verse 2 be transformed by the renewing of your mind it's metamorphosis you're born again by saving faith in christ you're a new creature that's glorious but you and i are to be changed again and again and again more and more like jesus christ and all of that is from glory into glory now notice here in second corinthians who does the changing at the end of the verse we are changed even as by the what Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that does the changing. But in Romans chapter 12, we are exhorted, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. So so Romans 12, we're supposed to be transformed. We're commanded to be changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're told it's the Spirit of God who does the changing. All right, so what is the connection? Romans 12 isn't declaring that we are ourselves sometimes the agent of change. And 2 Corinthians saying that sometimes it's the Holy Spirit that does the changing. What Romans 12 is exhorting us to, at least in part, is to expose ourselves to the means that the Spirit uses to reveal Christ and then change us into the image of Christ. And right here, we even have that means alluded to in the first part of the verse. Notice we all with open face beholding as in a what? Beholding as in a glass. If you're familiar with James chapter 1, you, you'll be thinking about that same expression used there. A man beholds himself in a glass. And then in that case, he's rebuked because he beholds himself and he goes his way and he hasn't changed. And we're told to not just be doers of uh, not just to be hearers of the what of the word, but be doers of the word. All right. What is what is the glass in which we see the glory of the Lord? The glass in which we see the glory of the Lord is what? It's the word of God. <clears throat> it, it's the word of God where we see Christ and behold the glory of God. In James, it's the word of God that is the mirror where we see ourselves in our true condition against the standard of Christ. It's the word of God in Psalm 19 and verse 7 that is the law of the Lord that converts our souls It is the word of God in John chapter 17 and verse 17 that sanctifies us. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It is the word of God in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that renews our minds so as to transform us and change us into a completely different form and change us into the very form of Jesus Christ. Brethren, you know the, the believer doesn't go into some Cocoon, like the caterpillar, to get changed. But the believer goes into the Word of God. The believer doesn't need to have, you know, some kind of out-of-body experience to get changed. The believer needs to saturate his mind in the Word of God. The transformation here is, is not the product of a 7-step or 12-step formula I, I actually looked back in the town that we were in in Wisconsin and sometimes read their news and and as the new year was there on the online newspaper <clears throat> they actually had now is the is a great time to join a multi-step recovery program at the start of the new year and I'm sure that some of those could, can be used to some benefit but but the believer doesn't take a 12-step a or a seven-step program the believer gets into the word it's not a formula it's the word the transformation that is spoken of here is not learning to develop a greater self-esteem it's the product of growing in the grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ through the word and brethren, the, the, the transformation that is spoken of here is not the product of, of an emotional you know, so-called high-in-a-worship service that more resembles a concert. I just had somebody talk to me uh, just a little over a week ago and, and, and talk to me about their services repeatedly just being taken over by, by the singing and how very often... You know, the Spirit so moves during the singing, they never get to the preaching. I had a man on Thursday night tell me that they have to be careful in their church because their choir is so good that if their choir sings a certain kind of song that the preacher will never get to the preaching because the whole service will just be taken over with hallelujahs about the music. And some people feel like they go in there, and all the emotion of all that. And some of it's some of it's uh, very contemporary. Some of it can can be a certain kind of old-fashioned. I mean, old-fashioned for me as a boy was a certain men's quartet singing. And my country pastor, wearing his cowboy boots and all, would pull out his handkerchief and start waving it and saying "Yeehaw" and amen and everything else. And we were having a grand old time. <clears throat> and we feel like we just had an incredible time with God. And yet we didn't get in the Word. It is the Word. It is searching the Scriptures daily. <laughs> as the Bereans did of old that is the source of, of, of being changed now brethren you you could be saved and you could be willing to do whatever god would have you to do in terms of your service for him you could even live a life that really is is quite separated from the godlessness of our age and you can still live to miss out on god's very best if your mind is not saturated in the word It is the word that is the spirit's means to show us Christ and transform us into his image. I mentioned a couple years ago, really when I first came here, about George Mueller. Really, a modern day hero of the faith. But when George Mueller was 71 years old, he gave this testimony. He said, for the first four years after my conversion, I made little progress, because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. And he wrote this, Now I've been doing this for 47 years. I've read through the whole Bible about 100 times. I always find it fresh again and again. Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. If you look back on on the year 2019 and say I think that I made pretty little progress If any spiritually speaking And again, I don't know what you would define that to be. I'm not sure exactly what george Mueller was referring to Maybe just coming to know the lord better. Maybe an increased prayer time Uh, maybe maybe seeing him change You know your character that it reflects more and more of the fruit of the holy spirit Maybe it's being more of an effective witness Maybe it's seeing some ground gained over some kind of fleshly fortresses and besetting sin. I don't I don't know what it would be But you look back and say honestly, I I think I made little progress if any Mueller said it was that way for years for him Because he neglected the bible when he was 76, five years after what I've just read to you, he, he said something similar. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend to every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. And I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word and to meditation on it. What is the food of the inner man? Not prayer, but the Word of God. Not simply reading the Word of God so that it passes through our minds as water runs through a pipe, but considering what we've read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts. How did George Mueller become a great man of faith? And, some, and, and someone here may actually say, I made little to no progress in terms of my ability to trust God. How did George Mueller become a, a man who built orphanages by faith? Not just because he kind of worked up a faith, but because he's in the Word of... You hear what he's saying? 47 years, he read through it over 100 times. I mean, the man's getting through the whole Bible a couple times a year on average. That's how somebody grows in their faith and in every other area of their life. I considered. Multiple applicational directions we, we could make um, in terms of, the, of our focus as we conclude this New Year series. But I mentioned George Mueller because I really came back to being burdened that this is the one the Lord has for us. While we're still in the, in the month, uh, in the first month of this year, every one of us needs to determine, if we have not already, we need to determine to develop the discipline of daily devotional Bible reading. And that it may well be that even those that know a certain measure of discipline in that arena need to increase the degree of of commitment to really maximize that. When it came just over two years ago, some of you would remember on Wednesday nights, it was the first series of messages that I preached was disciplines of profitable devotional bible reading but i determined years ago that in some form or another for myself and for those i minister to that, that we consider something like that on a regular basis and and so i just want to wrap up this morning with with several um, suggestions about disciplines for devotional bible reading and and really the first one is is far from a suggestion it comes right out of the exhortation of this text but brethren plan to read your Bible plan to read your Bible and, and most Christians neglect their Bible reading not out of conscious disloyalty to Christ every time this kind of subject comes up a true believer is just grieved if there's been, uh, if there's, if, if there's been something less than solid daily devotional Bible reading you want to do it It's in your heart to do it. The Spirit of God within you is compelling you to do it. And brethren, we don't do it in part because we just fail to plan a time and a place and a method to read it. We sometimes talk about Christianity 101. You know, this is just the basics. Yeah, but it is 101 because you can't get 102 and 202 and 402. You just can't go past and and, and miss this. And, and know what it is to live and experience the, the God's very best for your life, God's will for your life. Purpose and plan. And, and plan to read the whole Bible, and you don't need to read it as, as quickly as George Mueller or somebody else. But brethren, all Scripture is given by inspiration. And all Scripture is what? It's profitable. And I just want to appeal to you To not just turn to, well, I haven't read for a while, so today I'm going to pick up Proverbs and I'm going to read the Proverbs of the day. I know God will minister to you through the Proverbs of the day or through wherever else you turn to. But it's all inspired and it's all profitable and it's all part of a filter for our whole mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind in all of the revelation that God has given to us as you plan, though, to read the Bible, the second discipline i really exhort you to is this, to be clear about your purpose, to be clear about your purpose, and, and I'm even mentioning this because we could talk about discipline and planning, and, 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 and I'll say this, if you don't know where to go, you don't have, you know, a Bible reading plan, you want some suggestions today, they're, they're out there all over the place, and and we could kind of critique some of them, but pick one and do it. And if you want some help, seek me out. I'm glad to help. All right? Use Bible reading plans and charts and all of that. But while we're doing it, here's kind of a, a complementary truth to come alongside of that. Is to be clear about our purpose. So for as long as I can remember growing up somebody would say did you do your devotions today? So maybe you've had that kind of terminology I'm going to use that when when you open your Bible to do your devotions. Why are you doing it? and You know several um, Inappropriate suggestions could be offered Uh, I'm offering this one because I've known it. (laughs) I knew it and by God's grace. I I, I trust and beyond that but I remember really reading my Bible frequently So that I could have a good day I mean, it's what every Christian is supposed to do And and so I want to make sure that I don't miss because if I miss something bad's gonna happen I'm, I'm gonna have a bad grade something else is gonna happen You know, I read my Bible. So hopefully my car won't break down. I won't get sick I'll get good grades and nobody will be mad at me today and you know the the whole thing with the doctrine, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And really, it's almost like some Christians have adopted a chapter a day keeps the devil away. You know, I just make sure. And, and, and brethren, reading our Bible is not a good luck charm. Right? And, and we will miss out on the blessing if, if it's primarily about marking off our chart. I can tell somebody else I did it. Or even just that I feel like a good Christian. I'm supposed to do it and I don't want to feel like a bad christian And so i'm gonna make sure I do it so that I even feel like i'm a good christian Again reading schedules goals accountability all of that can be helpful, but not if they become the end they're the means to an end and our ultimate purpose for devotional bible reading and You might use a different word than this. I've i've used some different words myself. I'm going to say this morning communion Maybe you'd even say fellowship um, our, our ultimate purpose is to meet with God Have communion with God have fellowship with God When when we read our bible It is not like reading any other book and I don't mean something mysterious here And i'll explain myself, but there's a very real sense in which we're doing more than reading when we read our bible we're also listening Because the god of the universe the 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 god of the bible is speaking to us. This isn't just a rule book This isn't principles for life They're in there. There's rules. There's principles This isn't just you know find a little nugget that inspires you and lights your fire for today And you you can get inspirational quotes all over the place This is to meet with god you you would do well to begin your Bible reading. You don't have to use these words, but I, I've often been struck with young Samuel when he knew that God was calling him. He thought it was Eli, remember, for a while, and Eli said, that's not me, that's the Lord. And Samuel said, when he knew it was God calling him, he said, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. It's a wonderful thing to open your Bible and not just rush into making sure i'm getting everything that i'm supposed to get in but to actually stop and when i open my bible say speak lord for thy servant years i'm listening i want to hear from you and meet with you the psalmist said i will hear what god the lord will speak for he will speak psalm 85 and verse 8 and he does speak and he speaks where he speaks in his Word. so open yet listening for what he has to say to you plan to read but plan to meet with god when you read and And then, plan to read, Now, use a label I heard years ago, plan to read in a spirit of meekness. In a spirit of meekness. Psalm 22, 6, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. Um, Psalm 25, and verse 9, the meek will he guide in judgment, the meek will he teach his way. And and that may be an expression we're not all that familiar with, but, but the Greek word, Translated, meek actually meant used to the hand, so it was it was used to describe previously untamed wild animals that were now used to following the instructions of a trainer. I don't know if you've been around training a horse at all, um, and and all that goes through that process. When we when I was younger, um, some friends in our church had a three thousand acre ranch in the Cascade Mountains in Washington State. And um, they were we were around some of what they were doing with some of the two year olds and you know you'd watch them put the, the halter on and, and just kind of pull them around and you'd watch them try to uh, go ahead and put a saddle on and I, there's a lot that goes into this but the different stages and one of the last stages was actually getting the horse to take the the bridle with the bet in its mouth and so you get the saddle on get the get the bridle in and and take it around and for whatever reason at some point there, my dad had decided that it would be a really neat thing because you try to put lightweight on the horse for the first time so I'm like 8 or 9 years old and dad decides my son that's been riding horses, you know, I think we'll put him up there. So they put me up on, they put me on a horse named Rosemary. That should be nice and easy right rosemary what damage could rosemary do and i had been riding a lot so i'm up on rosemary and they're leading rosemary around the corral and everything is fine and then they decide we think we're ready so i'm i take over the reins and and i'm walking with rosemary and and all of a sudden One of the other horses came by and for whatever reason nipped at Rosemary's rear end. And Rosemary started running the length of the corral up and down and up and down and bucking and I'm holding on to the horn of that saddle and finally I can't hold on anymore. I remember going over Rosemary's head and looking up and she's about to come down on me and running and it was adrenaline and after that blackout (laughs) Thankfully, Rosemary didn't land on me. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you, you learn that there's quite a process involved in, in getting used to the hand. James is going to eventually say that we can lead about horses with very small bridle, right? And, and eventually, I actually was off of Rosemary for five, six days, and um, they took her into the whole barnyard And said we're not gonna let him be defeated put me back on rosemary and here I am You know, we we don't talk about what our engines in our vehicles are defined by horsepower Right and that horse was way bigger and way stronger And eight or nine-year-old me was on top of rosemary guiding her eventually wherever we wanted to go She had become used to the hand The the relevance to bible reading is just this that the child of God ought to read God's word with such a tender, sensitive spirit that we just are ready to respond in some fashion as we know the word of God is addressing an area of our lives. Sometimes believers put off decisions they know ought to be made and will actually even say something like, well, I probably should, but I haven't been convicted about it yet. Well, we're off on what conviction is. We, we somehow have thought that conviction is some kind of big bunch of emotions. If I see that I probably should, that's itself the first stage of conviction. When I see in the word God's truth, I know it applies to my life. And, and I put off the changes. I'm not, I'm not reading with meekness. I'm reading with resistance. And it's no wonder I could miss out on the blessing of that. Sometimes the change is a matter of, I just need to change the way I've been thinking. Sometimes the change needs to be, I need to believe what I know. Sometimes the change is I need to deal with sin, and I need to, you know, the change is involving something that's that's even more definite outside of, in, in terms of my action and direction. You would do well, I mentioned earlier, you would do well by saying something like, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. But you would also do well by, by saying something like what Paul saw on the road to Damascus said when he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? <laughs> Open your Bible saying, Lord, speak to me. And Lord, what would you have me to do? And as, as we are approaching our Bible reading to that end, read. To understand. Read to understand. We don't read simply to gain information, but, but the Bible has to be understood before it can edify. And, and there's multiple steps to that end. I think we spent several weeks on that in our series, but I would just say again pray. Pray something like this Psalm 119, verse 18 Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And you know what's happening? I, I trust you can even start to pick up on this. I'm saying, I'm saying Lord, <clears throat> um, speak to me. I, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to respond. And Lord, open my eyes so I don't miss anything. And you know what's going on? I'm talking to the Lord, and in his word, he's doing what? He's talking to me. And there's relationship development that's going on there. But ask the Lord to increase your understanding. And I would just say this. Uh, however you do it, engage your mind with some kind of writing. Have a devotional journal. Get a wide, double-wide margin Bible and make notes in your Bible. Um, use some kind of computer program. But brethren, don't just let your eyes go over the words and hope that you get something out of it. Part of the understanding is just engaging our minds so that I'm actually observing what's happening there. And, and certainly, there's so many other things you can do. There's so many resources. Again, if you could, could use some help, there's so many devotional aids that can come alongside and help us really understand what this passage of the Scripture is about. Make the most that you can from, from Bible preaching that is actually in text. And helping us understand the text. Take notes. Put them right there. Maybe spend some money. One time I was talking to some boys about using commentaries to help them. And, you know, and they were teenage boys. And they looked like spending money on a commentary? What? And I was like, you can buy several commentaries for less than you're going to spend on your next pair of basketball shoes. Seriously. And I'm not anti-spending money on basketball shoes. I'm just saying, think about our value. Think about our life. Moses said to Israel, this is not a vain thing. These words that he'd been preaching, this is not a vain thing for you, O Israel. This is your life. So do what you can to improve um, your understanding, and then practice meditation. Practice meditation. we were led in, in our scripture reading this morning, and Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he, what? Doth he meditate? Meditation can be defined very simply as talking with yourself about God's word. So I'm engaging my mind. I'm asking God to, to speak and, and to show me where I need to change and to open my eyes. And I'm engaging my mind, and I'm doing all that so I can write some things down so that it can even be the fuel of my prayer time and so i can come back to it midday and i can come back to it later in the day and and so i can be talking with myself about god's word how do you do that in a time of trial you remind yourself of god's promises of of his presence and provision in a time of temptation you're reminding yourself of scriptural warnings for indulging your flesh in a time of decision, you're reminding yourself of truth and, and examples that he's given for your admonition. And and at all times, you remind yourself of his person, his works, and you offer, Hebrew says, the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And, and much more, of course, could be said and has been said. One of my heroes, I don't know how the lord kind of makes certain ones stand out to us over time but jonathan edwards um has been a great encouragement and he was mightily used of the lord from his mid-30s to his mid-50s when he when he suffered an early death and um used of the lord in really and the the greatest awakening that our country has known and uh was he, he was a great husband and a great dad others talked about it i mean other, other evangelists and, and big names that would cross paths, one of the biographies of, of Edwards and his wife was called The Uncommon Union People Talked About. They had just had a rare marriage, and his children were, were in, incredibly blessed, uh, a blessing to others. But he, as you know, um, had drafted a number of resolutions in his late teens and early 20s. And one of those resolutions, there's certain ones about his objectives being to glorify God. But if you start to talk about a strategy to get there, this is, I believe, the foundational one. And here it is in his own words. He said, resolve to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently so that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same." study the bible so steadily constantly frequently that it's obvious i'm growing in the knowledge of the same now brethren without that kind of resolve any of us will miss god's very best for our lives without that kind of resolve to expose myself to the means which the spirit uses To do the transformation I will end up missing out On God's very best for my life I want us to Take our hymnals this morning And I'm going to give some time for Making personal decisions and responding In that sense As an invitation but Even as part of Continuing the, the thrust Of this message number 509 in our hymnals Number 509, the title, you know, it is Take Time to Be Holy. But it's not just kind of sitting in, you know, transcendental meditation and uh, or just going for a walk somewhere. Um, it's, Take time to be holy. Speak off of thy Lord. Abide in him always and do what. Feed on his word. Look at the second verse. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. And the place to do that is in his word. Let's stand together as we sing number 509.